My name is Jonathan Blackwood. Welcome to My Tech Decisions Podcast. Today's guest is Steve White, Corporate VP of Business Development for Vector Security. Steve and I talk about access control technology, including how to and why you need to define your scope and business needs before installing access control systems. The real key when it comes to access control is determining your scope. And it can sound like a much simpler exercise than it actually is because every business is different. And the systems that are available in the access control world are also very different. They range from very simple buy it once and maintain it systems to systems that come with annual licensing fees and software maintenance agreements and cloud components. And so it's more than just buying a, a, a fancy lock and a reader and putting it on a door. As well as the need to figure out the complexity of your needs so that your RFP will land you the right qualified installer. Do I qualify? Do my needs fit into this category where I can be more general? and I can solicit the expertise of a few potential partners to help guide my decision making or are my needs complex enough that I really need to have those decisions made and I need to build the RFP around a very, very specific set of technologies. Steve White has a passion for security and technology of all kinds. One of his main areas of interest is the Internet of Things and blending physical and logical security, which is important because access control doesn't always fall strictly under physical security any longer. These systems are often tied to the network, centrally managed, and very much a blend of physical and logical security. Steve expands on this idea in our interview. Access control can mean 10 different things to 10 different people. It can range anywhere from a simple keypad where you type in a code and gain entrance to a scaled-up enterprise application with multiple sites and integration into different systems. You can give everyone the code so they can enter, or you can centrally manage access control in order to keep up-to-date, specific access clearance up to the minute. Steve gives a few scenarios to demonstrate his points. Contractors that can be given temporary access cards that expire on a certain date. Employees in the building that are given access to certain rooms but not others. Executives that travel across multiple sites whose same access card for a building in Boston can be remotely updated to allow access to the San Diego facility when he or she travels there for the week. The possibilities are truly only bound by the institution's imagination. Of course, not all of us are going to need a full-scale access control solution, and none of us can get started until we write an RFP. Steve explains the needs you should describe in your access control RFP. He gives different tiers of needs, from basic to very complicated, and mentions what you need to include for each. Most importantly, however, he explains why it's a bad idea to consider access control at the end of the project. His beliefs are that access control should be considered in the very initial stages of construction, and he makes a compelling case for why that is. It's an interesting interview that anyone in facility management, security, IT, construction, or really anyone that uses access control at their workplace should listen to. I'll let Steve explain. Enjoy the interview. 
before we get to the interview, a quick reminder that My Tech Decisions podcast is now available on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Make sure to subscribe in order to instantly download the latest interviews with expert AV integrators, IT providers, security installers, technology manufacturers, and commercial technology decision makers like yourself. If you like what you hear, you can leave a comment and rate the podcast as well. Search for My Tech Decisions Podcast on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Download and subscribe. Now let's get to the interview. Welcome to My Tech Decisions Podcast. Today's guest is Steve White, Corporate VP of Business Development for Vector Security. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Jonathan. Good to be here. It's good to have you. Steve is joining us as part of the series we're doing around different technology topics, what they are, how they help organizations, and how to write them into RFP. And Steve has a lot of experience with access control technology. So we invited him on the show so that he could speak a little bit about that to inform our audience. Steve, what is access control technology? What different technologies are sort of under the spectrum of access control? Um, I mean, you, you picked a great topic for today, but uh, I guess the, the challenge coming out of the gate is that access control means uh, 10 different things to 10 different people. Um, it can be as simple as a, you know, a keypad un- unlocking a, a door, which many people refer to as more entry control, or it can be all the way scaled up to an enterprise application with multiple sites and integration to other systems, et cetera. But um, if we talk in general, um, there there are a few things that people very commonly associate with access control, things like the card that you carry uh, that you present to a reader to unlock a door. Um, so cards and other forms of credentials are, uh, are, are very commonly um, part of an access control system. That can be uh, biometrics, whether it's uh, a handprint or fingerprint reader, things like that. Uh, these days, a credential can even be your mobile device. Uh, so you can present your phone to a reader or use a barcode. So a credential of some kind is kind of the, one of the most fundamental things we think about when we talk about access control. Um, there are also, of course, the readers that um, receive that credential and pass the information on. Uh, and then there's what you're trying to gain access to, locks, uh, gates, turnstiles. Um, it could even be, in, in the case of a more advanced system, uh, we could be trying to gain access to a piece of machinery or a logical system, like a computer system. So uh, there's, there's that. Uh, but then some of the things that people don't often associate with access are uh, things like other kinds of inputs that we use to tell that system how we want it to behave, things like um, a request to exit uh, button or bar that you push to get out of a door, uh, or the connection between, say, a fire alarm system and the access system to enable um, special door release during a, a fire event. So uh, there are a lot of those kinds of behind-the-scenes um, triggers that are, are part of the technology of access. Um, and then, uh, and then finally, the other big piece that sits behind the scenes, uh, all of this, of course, has to be controlled. So there are controllers that all of these different functions kind of tie back to, and those controllers have to be managed, whether that's through a piece of software uh, or whether it's done through a cloud application or a hosted cloud service. Uh, but that all ties together to, uh, to, you know, to have it all make sense and perform the way you want. Yeah, that's that's a ton to sort of wrap your head around, and I'm sure there are a lot of people listening right now that didn't realize how involved access control can really get. So why don't we give them an idea of how these different types of technologies can help their organization, maybe starting from, you know, the base at the entry level and and moving up to some of the other things you mentioned, like access to machines and, and some of the control systems behind it. 
how will each of these technologies help out your organization? Yeah, of course. So if we start with the basics, the the way most people get introduced to access systems is they're you know they're first issued a card and they immediately recognize the value and the convenience of being able to uh, present the card and go through the door at any time. Um, so there are some things associated with that that we like. Uh, we reduce the need for uh, a locksmith to come out and rekey a door when someone leaves. So that immediate nature of making changes to your access control at say a main employee entry door. Um, that's usually one of the first ways that we think about it. Um, you start to move a little bit deeper into the building, though, and you start to uh, recognize that access control can be used to uh, to restrict the movement of your authorized users, too. It's not just about keeping unknown people out. You want people in engineering to only get into the engineering department, uh, and you might want a, an IT closet to be off limits to all but the most senior employees or members of the IT team. So uh, you start to recognize that at a fundamental level, the access system can be much more than just a way to, to keep unknown people out. Um, and then you then you start to look at um, ways that we can further regulate access, like based on schedules, for example. So um, unlike a key, which is going to work 24 hours a day, with an access system, now I can define who works which days, when they're allowed in, and I can restrict their movements based on, in the case of a, uh, you know, a very simple integration, I could, for example, restrict lower level employees from having any access at all, even if it was in the middle of a normal workday, if the alarm system is turned on. So um, that would be the, an example of, say, a facility closed for bad weather. If no one could get in to, uh, you know, to, to unlock, unlock, disarm the alarm and unlock the front door, someone trying to come in for work who happened to make it in would not be allowed in and might, you know, if they were, they might set off the alarm, things like that. So some, you start to move into some simple integrations that add some value for just the overall operation of a facility. You can also look at access because you don't have, have to worry about keys being shared um, and you have uh, people presenting an individual credential, you get the added security of an audit trail. So now I can run reports and I can see who accessed my facility over a weekend, who was there at an unusual time of day. This can be extremely beneficial um, after an incident to uh, do an investigation, but it can also be helpful just to make sure that people are coming and going as you expect, uh, that they're using their own card, that they're not sharing cards, things like that. And that's very difficult or impossible to do really with, uh, with a traditional keying system. So, um, so those, those are kind of the core, core components of just regulating movement throughout a facility. If we move up a little bit and we start to think about how it can branch out and, and add value elsewhere, um, if you have multiple facilities, being able to grant someone a credential that gets them access to facilities around the country or around the world, um, that can be hugely value, valuable and, and uh, much more efficient than managing them individually. Um, similarly, you could create things like temporary users. So uh, if I have a contractor who's going to visit multiple sites or I have auditors that are in or uh, a delivery driver, um, I can manage access in a way that allows it to expire maybe after they use it or after a set time period. So there's a tremendous amount of flexibility and efficiency I gain if my, uh, if my business needs that, that kind of access control. And then I can also do things like uh, integrate with my other building system. So I can, uh, I can make it a relatively seamless process when I add someone to my HR system to add them into the access system uh, and, and, and really kind of make that whole process seamless to the whole organization. So um, not having to, to go through a much more manual process of, uh, of having someone maintain it, I can automate some of those basic data entry functions 
Um, and I can then tie it all the way around to uh, when their termination is made, if someone leaves the organization, have it automatically deactivate their credentials. So I don't have to worry about tracking them down to get their badge back if, uh, if that uh, becomes a challenge for, for some companies. Um, so in, in access control systems, as, you, as I think you probably uh, get the impression, they can go very, very deep into an organization, and they can begin to include even things like um, cards that are used both for the front door access and for, um, uh, and for logging into a PC. Um, or they can be used to um, swipe and actually demonstrate that you were in an area at a certain time. So for things like guard tours and, uh, and other kinds of um, cases where you want to be able to verify people in an area, uh, they can really wind up permeating pretty deeply into an overall building program or security program and it really is just uh, the limit really is only to your imagination as far as how far you can take the tech. Any technology decision maker knows that as they want to introduce a new technology, it's not just them that are making the decision. There's key stakeholders that are going to determine a budget, that are going to approve certain technologies. So for those technology decision makers that listen to everything that you just said and said, yeah, I want an access control solution, but that's not going to be enough to convince, say, a CFO or a COO or even an IT director, whoever it might be, a facilities manager, whatever the conversation might be, whoever that stakeholder might be, what should end users use to justify the purchase of this technology? Well, that is the challenge, isn't it? So it, it probably reminds uh, you know people a lot of uh, things like specifying a, a new computer server or uh, or even a workstation for that matter. You can buy one for you know for three hundred dollars, or you can spend three thousand dollars, and somewhere in between is probably the right answer. Um, the real key when it comes to access control is is, is determining your scope, and uh, it can be it can sound uh, like a much simpler exercise than it actually is because every business is different. And the systems that are available in the access control world are also very different. And they range from very simple, um, you know, buy it once and maintain it systems to systems that come with, uh, you know, annual licensing fees and software maintenance agreements and cloud components. And so it's more than just buying a, a, a fancy lock and a reader and putting it on a door. So first and foremost, really the issue is thinking about the, the scope that is appropriate for the business need. Um, most access control systems wind up, whether, whether intended to happen this way or whether uh, it kind of, they kind of back into it, you, most access systems wind up being designed with specific business needs in mind, uh, really to your point. They, they have to be able to be justified. People have to be willing to write a check. Um, and when, when, they, when each access control feature is, um, is tied to a, a specific need, of course, then you can, you can map fairly readily to, uh, uh, to the department that's getting the benefit and, and build your business case around that. Um, but first and foremost, the, the, another thing that's really important to keep in mind is while the scope is critical, the danger in access control for many organizations can be in under-specifying. Um, we see way too often where for reasons of cost, we come in and say, well, you know, a, a, a card reader and locks on our front door and our employee door, that's really all we need. We're trying to, we're trying to be mindful of costs, and we'll just go with that, and we'll go with a very simple standalone system. And then a year, two years later, uh, when we want to add to that system or where the, you know, the, we want to leverage the cards for use elsewhere, um, say as a, a, a card to be used for, say, like a cafeteria payment services or do some other function because you've now got this credential that everyone's carrying, we can find that that can be much more difficult if the system wasn't specified properly. So um, while you can't over-specify and build a system that's too expensive, there is a real risk in under-specifying if you have 
a, a dynamic organization that's in growth mode where you, you, you really want to make sure you've anticipated what the needs might be down the road. Um, kind of similarly, uh, the perception of what the security needs are for a facility uh, can, you know, can really vary. So, you know, you've got to look at how the facility is being used. You've got to really um, even challenge your own beliefs just because you haven't had an incident and don't feel that you need to, uh, to manage access inside your facility. There may be some simple things that you can do uh, to not only better leverage your system, but to really improve your overall security. And those, you know, let's be, let's be frank, I mean, building an ROI around, uh, around uh, increased security is always a challenge, um, whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's physical security, um, building an ROI for access control is really case specific, and it will often, or always, and, and I would say, include some level of subjective estimate. Um, it's like video surveillance, like an alarm system. Uh, what we're building are layers of deterrence and detection, and those can help prevent major incidents. But each organization has to evaluate that value really in the context of their own operation and their own risk profile. Um, obviously, a, a you know facility that's um, you know moving mulch in and out of a warehouse uh, has very different security needs than a facility who has is you know manufacturing and distributing uh, narcotics. So uh, it, you have to put it in that context, and you have to build your scope uh, around that. And once you've done that, uh, then you you can apply some some subjective value to the system, uh, and also some some very hard dollar uh, ROI uh, components can be assembled from the added value of things like not having to issue keys and tight integration with building systems and you know thinking about uh, a reduction in the amount of time it takes to check people in and out of a facility if you do that if you can automate that process you can calculate value there so it all becomes part of a uh, a, a larger discussion about what this system means to the, to the business with a healthy dose of um, you know of, of uh, reality to make sure that uh, that it's spec'd right yeah, I remember a couple of years ago, I had a conversation with an individual in the security sector that, and we were talking about PSIM systems at the time, but he brought up a great point about how analytics can enter the fold and can sort of assuage some of the needs of other departments. So it's not just a security system. For example, uh, for access control, I'm thinking about, you know, people coming in and out of the building. And as you mentioned, understanding, you know, what time people are coming in, what time they're leaving and tying that into something like payroll or just as simple as understanding, you know, X amount of people use this room for Y amount of time weekly. So perhaps we can be using that room in a different way or perhaps uh, we should get some sort of energy management system into that room so we're not running the lights all day. Is that something that you think could be used to justify the purchase of these systems? I, I think it absolutely can. I mean, uh, you know, the, an HVAC interface is a great example uh, whereby a, a much more advanced system, when it's integrated properly, uh, can make sure that a, the system knows to shut down certain sections of a building if people that are assigned to those sections are not present. Um, so, you know, that one you, you could absolutely use to, uh, to calculate some real savings. Um, there are so many ways that people find to integrate with things like meeting rooms. Um, managing visitors is another one. So if you, you know, if you build visitor management into the specification, now we have uh, an easy way for uh, authorized users to say, I've got a visitor coming. I want to make sure that, you know, we're going to be in this section. We want to reserve this, uh, this room and make it all seamless. So when they show up, They've got a badge. Some companies choose to temporarily badge uh, visitors, depending on the on the circumstance, or just issue them a uh, a name badge. But having all of that built into an access control system, now you've got this audit trail that includes both authorized users and outsiders. 
um, and and you can you can definitely build a case for some uh, some time savings and uh, and improved efficiencies around that. Well, once you do build a case, obviously the next step is writing an RFP and choosing a partner. And this is really one of the biggest reasons I wanted you on the program to discuss. You know, what should an end user be writing into an RFP? about access control. You talked a lot about specific technologies and you spoke about what those specific technologies can do. Should they be including both or should they be saying, you know, either we want this type of technology, you know, door locks, keypads, fobs, what have you, or should they be saying, we want this type of capability. We want to know when people are coming in, when people are leaving, what rooms they're in, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think you. Uh, I, I, I think you've identified one of the most important and fundamental questions you have to ask yourself before the RFP gets built, which is, um, you know, which is really, do I qualify? Do my needs fit into this category um, where I can be more general and I can solicit the, you know, the expertise of a, a few potential partners to help guide my decision making, or um, are my needs complex enough that I really need to have those decisions made? And I need to build the RFP around a very, very specific um, set of technologies. Um, I can tell you that most of the clients I work with fall into that latter category where um, you could build a, a functional specification and take it to RFP for what you're trying to accomplish, but you don't really want uh, to have four or five different options put on the table that could meet your needs if you're trying to make sure that your system is compatible, for example, with existing facilities, or you've got a very specific sense of what you want to accomplish by the time you get to that point, more often than not, uh, you've identified a platform or maybe a couple of platforms that could do it. And you need to restrict your RFP in that case to those platforms. Um, because while many access systems can check a lot of boxes, um, when you get to the more, you know, more advanced, especially multi-site, cloud-managed, um, secure systems, you really want to be sure you know who you're dealing with. So I think that's that first fork in the road. Um, an HOA that has a pool house and needs uh, to grant their the you know the, the neighborhood access through a gate um, can put out a very generic functional RFP and is going to be fairly well served. Probably by the time that system uh, you know breaks down and needs to be replaced, they'll be just you know the the next product in line uh, can go in and and work just fine. Um, of course, in any case, whether even the, in that smallest example, you want expert help from the beginning. You want to make sure that unless uh, the person writing the RFP happens to be, and this is very uncommon, um, an expert in this field, you really want to make sure you've engaged, uh, and in some cases, more than one expert to get recommendations, to talk through your risk pro profile, to get their, um, you know, their idea around best practices and, and how you can um, take advantage of the technology in your space. There, this is a, a, an example of a system where you can apply a lot of creativity. It seems pretty straightforward, you know, lock, card reader. Um, there can be a lot of nuance in, in helping to select the right product for the right application um, to include, by the way, things like uh, specifying the exact door hardware that should go in, uh, which can require working with architects, which can require working with the, uh, the, you know, the door hardware provider way in advance of, uh, of a major RFP, the master RFP for, say, a remodel or a, or a new construction. So it's, a really, it's a very, very important. These are not systems that you want to go have you know, spec'd out and installed. Um, separate from all of these other building technologies. You want them to be considered side-by-side side, um, through every step of, of the design phase for a major project. So that's, um, that, that's kind of the, the first thing, is considering uh, you know, where you fit and who you're going to rely on for some expert design help. Um, 
by the way, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, remind everybody that uh, with access control, when you start locking doors, uh, you also have to be very cognizant of uh, issues like fire codes and uh, exactly how your system affects others. You, you can never, um, with, with a few exceptions that are probably outside the scope of our discussion today for uh, delayed egress, you can never impede someone's ability to get out of a building. Um, so you have to be very mindful of that as you're building these systems up. It's just another example of where that expertise is critical uh, to make sure you don't run afoul or, or create a, a dangerous situation. That would be the, the worst thing for sure. I was just going to say, do you write that into the RFP? Should you say, you know, we need to adhere by these codes or we need to, you know, in case of people with disabilities, things like that, we need to ensure that they're able to get out in these ways? Or will the security installer sort of already know that based on the service area? Um, you know, I, I think uh, in general, it's it's best to include it, even though anybody providing these services should be familiar with that. Um, what you can expect as a purchaser is you can expect to see uh, you know, kind of general statements or specific statements coming back uh, along the lines of, um, I'm going to require that the electrical contractor and the fire systems contractor coordinate with me to provide, you know, acceptable release. Well, that's great. Um, it's, if, but if everybody has similar language and then you get the project started uh, and no one has actually included the components or done the proper submittals to the fire department to show what we're going to do, you can have problems down the road. So uh, I think especially when it comes to code compliance, you you want to make sure that somebody has a, you know master responsibility for coordinating the trades and making sure that what they need is incorporated in their bid. Um, it can be very costly. Just that just compliance with that one aspect can um, can actually dictate in some jurisdictions what you use on which doors uh, and exactly how they are to function during an emergency. So uh, you don't want to you don't want to figure that out uh, at the eleventh hour. Um, because it, it will certainly add to cost and, and, and could impact the project. And you don't want to be pointing fingers at that point. Yeah, you mentioned that beforehand you should have a few ideas of, you know, which products you want to go to. And you also mentioned just there that, you know, some products might fall, might not fall under certain certain specifications or what have you. So within the RFP, should you should you leave that flexibility open? Should you sort of denote that you are flexible, you know, these are the products that we would like to use unless something? Um, you know, I, that may be a question uh, that you have to consider on a, a, a per project basis. Uh, I would say more often than not, most of these systems can be installed in a code compliant way, in a safe way. Um, so it's not as much of an issue, uh, although there are exceptions. So of course, we, you know, we're talking in, in pretty broad generalities, but I would say it's if you've decided that a certain um, platform, control platform, for example, is really perfect for your business, um, that decision can uh, can pretty much be made universally with the individual decisions about, for example, what kind of door hardware we're going to use on the employee entry door, um, being you know left to the experts. Kind of you know you make a recommendation in, as part of the RFP. Say here's here's our requirement for the control system for the software. Here's here's Security-wise and and interface-wise, how we want this particular door to work, you know, give us recommendations about what you would propose. Uh, that's okay. Um, but if you, depending on how large the project is and how important, you know, what you consider that that uh, opening to be, you may have already made those decisions too. So you'll it, you'll definitely see it vary from one project to the next. Would you already have made the decisions about specifically which doors and and such? You know how how the flow is going to work throughout the building and sort of building off of that, how much of 
your physical space should you explain in the RFP? I mean, should they have a complete schematic of your entire building or is it more, is that more of a discussion that happens after the RFP process? Yeah, most of the time, um, especially on larger projects, they, the people that are bidding on, on this will absolutely expect to receive a, a complete set of blueprints. Um, they will expect to, you know, they'll, they'll need to know um, exactly what type of doors have been specified. And in a, a, a well-designed project, those doors will be designed to accept your preferred locking system. So if you want to use magnetic locks on, uh, on glass doors, you will have already specified that, and you'll call out in the RFP whose responsibility which part is. It might be that for a certain kind of locking system, the door, uh, door hardware provider uh, may provide the entire you know, locking system, and all the access control vendor has to do is connect to it when they get there. Um, in other cases, you may want the access control vendor to provide all of that. Uh, and you know, it, that you'll usually get to those decisions through that early coordination with the architect and uh, you know, and and whoever else is involved in the in the planning phases of that project. Um, a good example of where this can be challenging is uh, if you've got uh, like frameless glass doors leading into a a beautiful lobby where all of your your uh, visitors and maybe even employees are coming through on a daily basis. Um, that's oftentimes uh, a door that you want to control somehow. You we want to put access control on it. Um, you know, for those times outside of hours when employees need to come through. But frameless glass doors can be very difficult to control if you haven't planned in advance. How are you going to get the cabling down there? What kind of a locking system are you going to use? You don't want it to be uh, unsightly. Take away from you know what I'm sure has been a very carefully planned um, you know building look. But to lock a door, you need to get you know some hardware on it. So um, that's one example. There are plenty of others where uh, you know if doors are just specified as plain solid wood doors, and you haven't anticipated the need to uh, to put a uh, you know, an electric lock in them. You've, now you've got to drill the door. It's not that it can't be done, but you can order doors with that hole already in place, with a hinge that's already ready to go to transfer power to a lock. There are a lot of things like that, and and you know, the devil's in the details, as they say. And this is a great example of one where you really want to plan every system from the door all the way back to the controller. What's the right, you know, what's the right wire path? Do I need conduit? My electrical contractor then has to get involved. Where do I need to run wires to? Um, you don't always want to run wires all the way back from every door to the controller. Uh, oftentimes you're, you need to place controllers strategically around a facility just for efficiency's sake. So there's a lot like that. And, and as you do that, one of the, the, you know, the benefits that, that you should get out of that process is you'll understand how your system scales up, but just as importantly, how it scales down. So if you get down the road in the RFP process and you realize that this project is, is not gonna fit your budget, you already have a good understanding based on how you designed it and, and the benefits you're getting from each one of these these doors and systems. You, you know how you can pull back a little bit if you need to redesign it, and you know what the implications are to the rest of the system, if there are any, in doing that. Um, so you know it's, it's, it's really important to take that kind of progressive, thoughtful approach to design um, so that you uh, can write a good RFP. Otherwise, you know, chances are the bidders are going to uh, kind of bid worst-case scenario, and you may be paying too much. Steve, thank you so much for your time. If any of our listeners want to get in touch with you or perhaps hire Vector Security, uh, what's your service area? How can they get in touch? Uh, well, depending on uh, the type of company, we range from uh, a branch organization throughout uh, the eastern part of the United States and all the way down into Texas. We also operate a national accounts group uh, that covers all of the U.S. and Canada. So we'd be happy to talk to anybody and see if uh, we're a good fit.
And uh, just head over to the Vector Security website. Absolutely, vectorsecurity.com. Great. Steve White, Corporate VP of Business Development for Vector Security. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to My Tech Decisions podcast. Here at Tech Decisions, it's our mission to help you do your job better. If you'd like to learn more, head over to www.techdecisions.co or follow us on Twitter at My Tech Decisions. I'm your host, Jonathan Blackwood, Managing Editor of Tech Decisions, and you can find me at Blackwood Tweets. Thanks for listening and good luck on your installations and implementations.